Hello, George. What's going on, Mike? Hey, this is a sponsored podcast now. Did you know that? Yes, I do. Um, you're using that CBD salve, right? Yeah, I'm using it for my elbow. What the hell does salve mean? It's just like a, like a Bengay Icy Hot. Why does it got to be like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, hey, guys, this podcast is sponsored. Uh, our first sponsor is Uncana. It's U-N-C-A. N-N-A. I always want to spell it out because you never know. If you're yeah, going to look it up, know. you got to know how, it's, how to spell exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, if you guys are interested in the CBD movement, uh, the legalities have changed as of last year. So a lot of things are happening to get CBD in the hands of the people that need it. It's a natural solution to a lot of people's problems. Anxiety, sleep, um, you know, pain. You could do it topical. You could take the... Uh, what is that little thing called? The, they have well, they have the gel caps, the and gel they cap. have the um, what's the one I use? It's like the dropper, right? Yeah, that's the uh, just the uh, CBD oil. CBD oil. I like the CBD oil. If if you track in Uncana, Uncana is a special operations veteran owned company, um, but they are super strict about who they source for CBD oil and the process in which they do that because a lot of companies like China are bringing all these companies over and the the CBD oil is not pure. Organically grown um, and regulated on canna.com. Use Philcraft to save 10%. And uh, hashtag OpNatural. And the reason why they're so good is that they're small batch uh, and they only supply like premium from seed uh, to sale. So small batch, so you know you're getting the, the quality and, and that the testing that, that goes into all that stuff, so... It's a great company. Also sponsored by TriarchSystems.com. Again, T-R-I-A-R-C Systems.com. If you've been uh, tracking our stuff on YouTube, on Instagram, uh, we've been running their Glock 43, 19, and 17C. And look, you know, we're, we're sticklers for firearms because, you know, we want to put out the right stuff. We're, we stand behind Glock because of the simplicity, but a lot of people, a lot of companies... Uh, specifically do a lot of dumb crap to, to guns and then you pay for it. You pay $3,000 for a gun that just looks really great. Well, the cool thing about Triarch is they're all, all about the utility and function. I've ran that 17C and put thousands of rounds through it. If I had one issue, I would advertise that. None. It's yeah. uh, Those guns are bulletproof. Zero man. issues. Not one misfire, not one you know malfunction. I mean, it's constant. It, it's great. It's smooth and... and the recoil is minimal. It's it's great. Check out their website. They have custom builds. They have sexy carbines that are just d- the same deal, man. The utility and function is there outside of them looking good. Um, they're out of Texas. TriarchSystems.com. Make sure you use Philcraft to save on checkout. Also, this podcast is sponsored by TrueBrain.com. Again, i got to spell all this stuff, man, because everybody does a little bit. Yeah, they, things everyone different. changes it up. Yep. Uh, TrueBrain is T-R-U minus the E, Brain.com. Hey, if you're into nootropics like I am, or, or feeding the brain, basically, I'm always looking for the, the you know the cutting edge, the cheats for uh, brain function, cognitive function, and performance. Uh, I've tried their new nootropic systems, which co- comes with like the boost, which gives you the caffeine, feed your brain, and especially I fast in the morning, and yeah, it's breaking fast, but it's also feeding the brain and not bogging you down with uh, bad sugars and carbohydrates. It's all the good stuff that your brain needs. I also use, if you're on the keto diet, like uh, we cycle through, uh, make sure you pick up their ketone ester. Their ketone ester uh, puts you in ketosis faster, but also gives you the benefit of the cognitive and performance uh, without even being on the keto diet. 
Yeah, I put it in my coffee every single morning. Uh, it's got a, a natural sweetener in it. Really good stuff. Truebrain.com. Use Fieldcraft15. Uh, Fieldcraft15 to save 15% on checkout, which is a really good That's discount. That's nice. 15%? I'll yeah. take that. Thank you, Truebrain. Also, hey, guys, we got some training courses coming up. Um, we'll be in Miami. I'll be in Miami the end, or actually Easter weekend. Easter weekend, 20th and 21st, or 21st, 22nd, whatever the day falls 20, on. 21st, I think it is. Yep. Yeah, well, I have, no, it's 20, 21, 22. I have a seminar that Friday. That's right. Which is a uh, good Friday. Um, it's from 6 to 7.30 p.m. It's just an hour and a half. Uh, I'll, I'll, it's open right now for sign-up. It's absolutely free. You guys can sign up on com, And then uh, uh, after you sign up, I'll send you guys instructions about a week out prior to that visit. And then we got Pistol that Saturday, Carbine that Sunday in Miami, Florida. Um, it's going to be a good course and uh, good weather, I'm sure, in Miami. Also, what else we got? Uh, we also got 14 April, which is a Sunday. Uh, we're, be at, we're having our gunfighter pistol course level one at Chino Valley. Mm-hmm. That's on the website, oh, so Raul's, check it out. Raul will be out there doing that one, right? Oh, uh, and the day before that, on 13 April, we yeah. have... Is that confirmed? Yeah, 13 April, we're doing the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu seminar with Darren. Are you sure? Yes. That was up in the air yesterday. Was it? It was. I don't know. He's No, because Darren sent me pictures and everything. So. Oh, he did? Yeah. Okay, it's locked in then. Darren, see you on uh, Saturday. If you guys don't know Darren, Darren is um, one of the most accomplished fighters that we know in our organization. And uh, super good dude, super good trainer, humble and kind. And he uh, is all about teaching. So if you're a tribe member, monthly or annual tribe member, you get into that for free. Um, outside of that, we'll be posting all cost and everything else on philcrossarrival.com. Got anything else? Uh, no, I will be updating the training this weekend with some more courses, so stay tuned, and we'll be putting those out on Instagram as well to let everybody know. Hurry up. Oh, actually, you know what? This podcast is with Darren and Raul. If you guys are interested in hearing more information from these guys, Raul's our combatives instructor, and Darren is our combatives consultant. Uh, but make sure you guys check out Darren on uh, IG. And uh, Raul is Raul underscore Martinez. And then, uh, yeah, I hope you guys like this podcast. Cool. Let's kick it off. Hey, guys, it's Raul. And today I'm hosting the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I have Darren Wenuyama with me. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Did I butcher it already? No, it's good. Say it right for the crowd. Wenuyama. Perfect. Look at that. All right, uh, Darren, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Um, you know, I'm just a average guy. Uh, no such thing. Well, I, I guess I'm known for my fighting in mixed martial arts and my um, involvement with the jiu-jitsu community and mostly known probably more for my coaching. I've, I've been doing a lot of coaching, and uh, a lot of my athletes are doing pretty well. Outstanding. Uh what camp did you did you come from originally, or where where did you start your your lineage, or is that even a thing still? Yeah, um, I started started with Half Gracie and Kurt Oziander in San Francisco back in ooh, it sounds like a long time ago, 1999, <laughs> 20, 20 years ago. Yeah, nice. Um, from there, uh, still training there. I, I got to train with like Jake Shields, Gilbert Melendez. I was working at Fairtex uh, under Alex Gong. And things just kind of progressed, and that's how I got exposed to, like, more Muay Thai guys. And, like, Jake and Gil were really high-level wrestlers. Um, started wrestling myself, and things just kind of, you know, expanded from there. 
Right on. And uh, so in that whole time, did you start like wanting to fight right away? Is that why you got into jujitsu or was it more like you got into that for some other reason and then it just blended itself? You know, when I was a kid, we'd watch the UFCs on my friend's black box. And um, I was always like, wow, that, that Hoist Gracie guy is really cool. And then I saw a video of uh, Valley Tudo Japan and that had Hickson. Hickson Gracie won that. But there's this guy, Yuki Nakai, who's a Japanese fighter that happened to be 135 pounds fighting these like, it's like an absolute division, like no weight class. And he made it to the finals. I was like, that's the guy I want to be, you know. Um, honestly, I never really thought that I had what it took to fight. And then, so I, I didn't really pursue it. I, I had a, my son when I was really young, I was like 18. And then at his, his first birthday, a friend of mine that I used to watch fights with and like we'd wrestle and do UFC in the, in the yard, in the yard. <laughs> um, he was like, Hey man, like I gotta, sh I gotta take you to this place, but you can't tell anybody about it. And I was like, this sounds suspect, right? But sure, take, take me. <laughs> and uh, he brought me to Half Gracie's. And from the first night, Kurt, uh, one of the first things he, he said to me after we rolled, he's like, I'm going to make you a champion. And nobody had ever said that to me in my life before. And uh, just something about that. Like I was always on the bench in baseball or whatever sports I'd done. Just I was all in from day one. It's different, right, when somebody shows a like, they, they see something in you and they're like, boom. Yeah. And you're like, well, damn, I'm not letting anybody down now. Yeah. Like, that's a big deal for sure. Simple, simple words can be very powerful. Right. Like, and I say that in some of my posts, like words have power, words have meaning to the point where sometimes we dismiss uh, certain words or we use them lightly. Like words, words mean something like let's use them properly to, to hit yeah. the key points instead of just like tactical this or some random shit that, and it doesn't mean anything, but allowing words to to do what they're supposed to do i think is very important yeah and use just the right amount of words to convey your message and not like in a lot of things today where they just add them for flash right so yeah we we kind of talked about that one in uh the podcast we did with um with jim is that we'll have to add flashy things to sell a product or flashy words to convey a message for something basic and it shouldn't be that way like people should be ego, their ego should be down enough so that if it's if it's something basic that you need just accept it yeah we all need basics i need the basics i mean we're rolling around today with uh chad and he you and chad are just high level dudes and if i had an ego or if, if mike had ego or george and we're just in there we'd be like oh we don't want to do this we'll just watch you guys but we're on the mats rolling with you guys because we know and i think more people should have that sense of uh of professionalism to be able to just step back and be like, well, cool. There's professionals here. Let's learn from them. And, uh, basics that there should be no super basics or ultra basics where people were, we're trying to sell you the basics. Like you should be seeking the fundamentals, seeking the basics as an individual in training. So, yeah. And I, I th one thing that dawned on me today is like, today is a really important day. I think, uh, you know, Mike putting on a gi, George putting on a gi, and you training, putting on a gi, it's like stepping, taking that step into the unknown. Like, hmm, I don't know exactly how this is going to shake out, but let's just, let's just do it. <laughs> and then everybody had a good time. And I think it's going to grow into a huge part of what's available here. Yeah, definitely. The, the FC dojo is going to be, is going to be fun. It's going to be, it's going to be great to have people coming through and, and helping us and you coming back on a, on a more 
um, consistent schedule now that we have the place, right? Not just rolling on on concrete and or six pads in the middle of a range, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's get back to to your style of uh, of training and fighting. Like when you're prepping for a fight or when you're prepping your guys for a fight, does the way you train your guys mirror how you would train yourself? Do you try to give them that sensation, or do you cater directly to the fighter? Well, one thing that a lot of a lot of the ways I structure things are, <clears throat> excuse me, based on things that I wish that I I had as an athlete. To be honest, um, I don't ever want to because I'm working with maybe fifteen to twenty athletes at a time. I don't don't ever want to get super hyper focused on one where everybody else feels insignificant. I want to make sure that everybody's significant, and so I watch them a lot, and I make sure that each person gets the the aspect that they need to work on. And I that's why I'm up till like three o'clock in the morning, usually trying to come up with a, a practice plan that I could hit everybody's goals. And to be honest, there's always going to be somebody that gets, oh, you know we're not doing exactly what I want to do today. And it's like, well, this is where you build resilience, right? Like you might have to do something that you don't want to do. Right. And sometimes more times than not, the stuff they don't want to do is the stuff they need to be working on. It, it's yeah, funny. That's crazy. Right. Even yeah. at like a, a high level, uh, like Bellator or um, UFC level, people are like, well, I just want to, I just want to kickbox today. It's like, yeah, but you're a world-class kickboxer, so you know what we're doing? We're wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, so now you have people coming to you for training. You're, you're still training yourself to do things. And uh, how, how did you find time to get into, like, shooting and, and more of, like, the tactical realm? Uh, I know you mentioned early in the conversations we've had uh, the police explorers were kind of a, a thing you did when you were younger as well. Yeah. Um, well, I guess... I grew up with all of my uncles were in the military, right? And my grandfather was in the military and my best friend's stepdad was in the military. So most of my male role models through life were in the military. Um, and when I was in high school, uh, I was a law enforcement explorer. So we do like ride alongs with, with cops and, and we had to go through an academy. And so I learned how to shoot, um, from officer Normandy, the guy that started, uh, battle comp, battle comp. Yeah. So, um, that was like my first taste. And then I went through high school, started training jujitsu. Didn't really, um, do much. I mean, I, I bought a shotgun like most people do when they turn 18, like you get a home defense shotgun. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's what most people do. Yeah. It is across the board, man. They get, they get the shotguns. Yeah. And, uh, then when I was training for my first fight in the UFC, um, a group of a local law enforcement agency was in the gym also doing defensive tactics stuff. And I recognized some of the guys because I'd went to high school with them. Some of them were explorers when I was an explorer. So it was, yeah. it's kind of cool. And uh, after I saw what they're working on, they're like, hey, wh what did you think about that? And I was like, ooh, like, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily do it that way. And how long ago was that? That was probably 2011, 2012, I think. Yeah. So give or take six, seven years yeah. uh, from now. and. What do you kind of think when you look in on law enforcement specific trainings now? Same kind of vibe, right? Like there's there's some evolution, but it's still kind of like, man. Yeah, you, you definitely have that institutionalized thinking. We call it institutionalized inbreeding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where one guy just tells the other guy and then he just follows through and keeps going. He never 
looks to change or advance or question why. Yeah. Um, which is what's cool about here. We'll field test it. If it doesn't work, we dump it. Yeah. Throw something new in the mix. What I will say about the the group is that their DTAC or defensive tactics or DT instructors, the instructors were game to train and learn new things, right? Because cool. most of those guys were on a SWAT team also. So, like, they're open. And they train outside of the job too. So they're like, hey, man, we need to get these guys going. But, you know, there's always those guys that want to do the minimum, I right. guess. But when you're in an engagement or in an exchange, you're going to always wish that you were better than, than, than the other dude. Yeah. Or than you, you thought you were, yeah. Well, it's cool because if they were already there, then that means that they, they did take the time to try to do a little bit more, which is always a, a thumbs up for, for law enforcement. Because a lot of the guys, if it's not mandatory or they're getting paid, they're not going. Yeah. yeah, that's rough. So, you know, you try to work around that. And from from working with, I only went in, I think, once or twice, you know. And I think because it wasn't taught how they're used to uh, being taught, they, they might have went with the, the department standards. And then I started getting invited to do simunition shoots with some of the, the guys, the, the SWAT guys, and built relationships with Matt, Dana, and Ivan that way, and sometimes we'd just go down to the range, the department range, and shoot. So uh, th- those guys are my good friends. We're usually, you know, talking trash to each other, texting or IG and funny stories to each other. So you, you stay connected to them. You still chat with them. And uh, do you train with any of the guys that, that were at that they, that DT seminar that you were talking about? Um, I've trained with Ivan more, just doing jujitsu. Um, he's a good buddy of mine. He's the one that's always pushing me to go to the department. Uh, so we've trained more jujitsu on the side than with the other guys. The other guys, they're so busy, and I think, you know, it's not a knock. It's just the reality of the world today. Everybody's, like, working tough shifts where they don't have time to train, you know, yeah. so. Right on. I know yesterday we were talking about uh, <laughs> the, the possibility, and it, I mean, I think it would be a, a badass option for you if you joined the military and went the SF route, like, there's still time, man. You still have a little window. Um, that Between that or like a law enforcement agency where you can kind of sway an opinion. I know guys that come in that are a little older, um, they have better influence because they have life experience. They have um, training experience. They have something that they've done that allows them that space to talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, a few years ago, I actually took my written exam. I think it's the post, post exam. And then the physical exam for the California um, whatever their curriculum is. And I was able to pass it in one try. And I got to that point where it's like, is this really what I want to do? And again, it's not a knock on, you know, police are great. They, they, they do a great job and they have one of the hardest jobs, but how would I put it? The like bureaucracy and stuff that I hear about that you guys have to deal with. I, I kind of like to blaze my own path. Yeah. So I don't know if that would be too, restricting for me there are definite parameters where they want to keep people in you know what i mean they want you to stay within these guidelines uh more for like department policy or liability reasons more than it's more that than not allowing you to be you know influential in your own way which i think it's is kind of a detriment to guys that are really personable and that have good problem solving ideas because you want those guys out there solving issues so that they don't have to become more than they really are like a neighborly dispute, let's say, right? Uh, two neighbors just not getting along. And the first question is, well, have you talked to each other? Oh, well, no. 
well, then why am I here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, let's go talk to each other. Let's let's link you two together and you, you're probably going to end up liking each other. You live next door. Your dogs probably like each other. You're the two that are just being weird. And I think the simple things like that's more of an adult's way of solving a problem versus the younger cats that are just like, well, I'm just going to write this guy a ticket for whatever. And then that guy. And it's just weird. It's, it's weird to see. But yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm with you. Like, it would be cooler to see people allowed to do their own thing and also be allowed to take that responsibility. Like if you, t- if you're assuming the responsibility for your actions, why is the department so afraid? You know, as long as you're, you know, within the realm of, yeah. of policy. And in my own gym, I've got several law enforcement guys and I uh, had several uh, federal air marshals. Actually we had three at, at one point. Um, I've got uh, a guy works in the, I guess it's correction, corrections facility. Right. Um, this guy, Marcus, uh, but I think he's like a sheriff's department. I, I don't know. I don't ask the specifics, but um, he, you know, they're they're training all the time. And uh, my buddy Adonis, that uh, was a federal air marshal, he, he's a black belt in jujitsu now. So it's like he was squared away before he even went through the process. Yeah. And my other buddy Jason, he's a black belt also. So he's like fought professionally, squared away. And so when he went through all the academy stuff, it was like. Where people say it's hard, it's like, oh, this is yeah, <laughs> this is fun. Yeah, like me when I went through uh, the Chicago Academy, I had already gone through basic training. Then I reclassed, and I went through another basic training, and then I went through drill sergeant school, and then all of those are just essentially basic trainings all over again. And then when I did Chicago, it was fun. Yeah, and then I did the one here in Arizona, and it was well, I didn't do much here. I did just the field training i didn't have to go through an academy here which was cool um so fieldcraft how did you end up with the fieldcraft boys so it's it's kind of a funny story a long story i don't know uh i mean i just joined as a tribe member to be honest uh just as a consumer i first found out about mike through social media i think it was uh aaron bruga from gorilla approach that reposted one of his stories mm-hmm. And I had just done a course, uh, vehicle, vehicle carbine and pistol course with with Aaron, and I just clicked on the link. And I was like, "Oh, cool! Another Asian dude. Got to support that guy." And uh, you kimchi boys. Yeah. So you know, Asians stick together most of the time. But uh, I started seeing his his survival kit and just listening. I like to listen. I commute about an hour and a half to the gym every day, so listen to podcasts, listen to, uh, to YouTube videos. Um, and what he said really resonated with me and the idea that like training is very important and regular training is important. And two, they, they regularly have courses in my relative local area. You know, it's a few hour drive, but it's worth it. And none of the other training groups that would come to California were very regular. It's like I was training, go to a course once every three months and that, I'm not going to progress that fast. Just being a, an athlete, I know I need to train regularly. If I could, I'd train tactical stuff every day. Um, so it was good that like Mike, Kurt, and, and the guys would come out once a month. And then if, if they were tied up, they'd send somebody like Jay. And then there's Hector and Keith from, from Series. Everybody's a great shooter down there. And yeah, it just, I like the vibe. Everybody's super positive, even like, the people in the tribe, we got Gina, Kenny, you know, Krissa, 
and we're out there shooting and cheering each other on, having a good time. It's not competitive. Right. And I've been in other other courses where like people are like trying to be malicious and yeah. I'm like, like Dude. sabotage other students. It's crazy. Or just just broing it out too hard, trying to make it like cool kids, not cool kids. And yeah. And then the fanboys. Yeah. So uh, the guys keep it all positive, and, and I dig that. I bring my kids to to courses. They love it. It's kind of like a family thing. Um, it's awesome. helped with their my relationship with my kids. Um, but oh, on the survival stuff, I it people used to call me crazy because I've had to travel to Brazil, Thailand, uh, Japan, just a number of places that have either had natural disasters or or third worldish. Third worldish, yeah. So I've always had like a little kit in my bag and people are like, what do you have that for? Well, then I see Mike saying like, oh, I've put together this kit. And I was like, dang, that's that's genius. I had maybe like 30% of the items that he had in his kit. And I was mm. like, okay, uh, I want I want to get one. And he was just starting out, I think. His videos were in like a living room with mm -hmm. like a bookshelf in the back. Gotcha. And so when I went to order, they were all out of stock. So I had to like piece it together myself mm -hmm. and then once they were back in stock, sure enough, I, I signed up and yeah, just went from there. <laughs> tell, tell, tell everybody the story you were telling me about the flashlight and almost getting stranded somewhere. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people will make fun of me because I keep a Surefire flashlight in my pocket. And uh, one time I was down in Guam. I, I went out there for a grappling uh, submission-only event, submit. And my buddy Joey, we, we were like, all right, let's take the jet skis out. And you're in the on the open ocean. It's not like jet skis on the lake. Mm -hmm. And we went to the south side of the island. Uh, we're down in Agate. And uh, it started getting dark. And to be honest, I, I got a little like seasick because the, the, the ocean was rough that day. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to ride on the back with Joey. Somebody else take my ski. And it was dark. And it's shallow reef there. And it's not like you have, like you checked out with anybody. Anybody knows where you are. It's it's a U.S. territory. It's It's modern but you're kind of on your own. Yeah. So luckily I had my Surefire flashlight and we're motoring super slow, turn like a one hour ride into like a two, three hour ride. And I'm just spotting for a reef. And uh, I had a little uh, retention ring on it. So even when we were bumping through the wakes, I was like, I'm good. I got my nice. Surefire light. <laughs> so secure. This, it stays with me every day, everywhere I go. Like knife, maybe, flashlight, guaranteed. Nice, yeah. So we've been we've been working together and we've been kind of playing with uh, the Fieldcrafts Combative program, which was interesting because when I brought it to Mike and we're like, let's do this, and Mike's excited about it, and we started just looking at it and doing things with it and kind of like whiteboarding it and starting to see how we're going to introduce it to the public. Uh, you came up, and then it was like, well, cool, let's start running it through people and. Hey, initially, we, we had just talked via text and then, you know, some DMs, sliding in my DMs. <laughs> and uh, we were, yeah, it, it was cool. It was such an easy conversation, like getting along with you is super cool. It's it's like I've known you for a long time. Uh, and yeah, we spent the last couple of days just kind of dissecting the program, adding to it. Uh, I think we've made it better uh, with you here, honestly, because you, you, you've helped not only fine tune, but see things um, from a very professional um, instructional side slash fighting side. Uh, what do you think of the program? What do you think so far? You know, I, I really like it. I think uh, you guys had the first first course. I think the outline was really good. And like anything that, that drive to want to improve, 
is like what gets me interest, interested. Like that's what fires me up because we can never be like too good or like, all right, I got this down. Now I don't have to reevaluate it. And then two, as things progress, there might be another problem that comes up. You know, we we're talking about how to pin the hands and it's mm-hmm. like, hey, well, let's, let's work in doing it this way. Oh, wow, that's effective. And then Mike and George come in the room. And they're like, oh, let me see that. Like, l- let's let's look at it from the outside. Like, is that is that real or is that BS? Right? Like, mm-hmm. oh shit, that's that's for, that's for real. Oh, cool. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna run that. And I think uh, that's the, the one of the most important things because it's about what's effective, not what's flashy and marketable. Right. Right. And I think that's the thing about fieldcraft is it's like. What's marketable here or what is marketed is what's effective. Right. It's not like we're running and jumping and spinning. And I mean, if you have to, you have to, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's your, your contingency plan. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of why we, we wanted to run with a program that was, you know, we wanted it to make sense. We wanted it to be basic. And, and I, I don't say basic loosely, like it's not basic, like, yeah, you know, hey, you're gonna learn to do a fight stance or, or yeah. something, something that you should already kind of have an idea of. Because I mean, one of the initial warm ups is just shadow boxing, so that we can see how you move and uh, if you know where to put your hands, and and even then we can dissect that and give you just a little bit or just enough so that it doesn't feel like you're you're falling behind. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good way uh, to start off with a way that we can measure people's experience and. Basically, if somebody has a physical ailment or an injury that we got to work around or maybe just a condition, um, I like to be able to see them move first. And I think that's something that's overlooked in a lot of programs. Everybody's like, you're going to move how I tell you to move. Right. And it's like, well, what if they physically can't? Are they just on their own now? It's like, no, our job is to give you something that you can use within your capability. And then we build from there. So. I, I like that way of approach and, and that's how, you know, I would, I would look at it. Yeah. Cause we had everything from uh, a 12 year old kid to, I think he was maybe 50 something. And, uh, yeah, just watching them move and they were able to, to do what we wanted them to do. But if those adjustments needed to be made, we would have been able to do that just by watching how they moved. And if anybody had concerns, which that was a question early on, like, do you guys have, you know, physical ailments, anything that we need to, adjust for and yeah. uh no everybody was was committed to training and doing doing their part so it was really good to to get that and the way we run it is we're, we're not pinning students against each other like in there to, yeah. to see who's the top student at the end of this right we run it a very team-based uh ideology right off the bat yeah we want dudes to work together dudes and chicks and, and ladies uh and older the older group the younger group it doesn't matter we want them to work together yeah so there's a lot of team building drills, team well, fitness style drills so that they can get not only comfortable with another human being in, in, in a really tight space. Like, so now we're like exchanging breaths, which is not common for most people. Yeah. Um, but they get to work together, feel each other's energy. And, and it's cool because it, it gives them that experience in a team environment where I think if we were really aggressive and it, it seemed uh, too much, then people would be less comfortable to learn. Yeah. And you want it to be welcoming. You know, they, like you guys were talking about, there's a, a mother that brought her kid to the program right. and she was like all pumped about it. And, <laughs> and she was in the background doing the moves and yeah. we're like, well, we should have just put her in. And one thing that I think I, I found through combatives or uh, fight training is that people that are good dancers usually pick up 
athletics fast. Oh, right? nice. And it's uh, something that I think women typically do better than guys. So guys usually want to get into like a super aggressive posture, right? But yeah. women are kind of like, hey, just I want to flow. And it's interesting because we'll, we'll shake it out and get into some drills and see where everybody's capable. Yeah, and they're super. They're they're a lot more loose and and agile too, right? They move a little bit better, and yeah. dudes are all tensed up, especially if like they're kind of nervous or it's new. Yeah, uh, they tend to tense up and get a little a little weird. And and for uh, you know the tribe members on the on the Facebook group, uh, shout shout out to those guys. Uh, you know, there's some concerns of like, well, you know, will I be able to do this? Can I physically do that? And I think I I definitely say yes because. We'll make the adjustment for, for them, you. yeah. And and with that, we we do need to to address a, a reality of it. If you are limited in strength in certain things, um, there is a sense of responsibility that we want you to take in the in the scope of train a little bit, get a little bit stronger, get a little bit faster, yeah. and then. If now we're dealing with like physical ailments or actual like injuries that we can't get past, um, we will adjust and give you some options. Yeah. Um, but there is a reality in, in, in the world where if you have a, a broken arm, there's nothing that's going to change that you have, you know, uh, an ailment that makes you weaker than somebody else. Like yeah. Those are just things that we can't we can't work around. But like back issues, knee issues, like we can work around all that. Yeah. Give you something to have um, have available just know that there are certain things that we just can't work work past like and, and nobody could do do anything for that but when there's issues with size it doesn't matter we'll, we'll give you things that work and if there's issues with um uh experience i have no experience how do I, how am i going to do this well we're going to give you that time on the mats yeah but this program isn't going to make you the great fighter that that, that you want to be but it's going to give you enough to want to seek out more yeah and i think that's something that's good that's consistent through the whole field craft um experience is that like they do preach like you know get physically fit because fitness matters in in day-to-day life and a physical altercation uh while shooting believe it or not there's a lot of guys that like oh i don't have to get fit i you know I could, i'll just shoot them. i got a subsecond draw you know i to burn them down yeah. but uh in reality is like well what if you have to flee what if you have to run you know you go 30 paces and you're out of breath right yeah. and uh two in combatives like fitness matters i think of conditioning like cardio capability is like how many bullets am i bringing into a gunfight nice. right that's a really cool way to think about it hey if i'm out of shape man i'm coming in with a half mag yeah. <laughs> i'll still try to do as much as i can with that half mag but if i'm in great shape guess what i've got i've got reserves i got yeah. a full battle belt stacked you know yeah, and then you got an ammo can that you can still get to. Yeah, you know, because you have all those reserves. Where yeah, like if you come into it already slacking, yeah, uh, and and I think one thing that people commonly do in combative training is like, oh man, let me get in shape before I start. It's like you know what, let's just start, and you'll get in shape doing it. Right. Because that time that you're not technically uh, training, you're not getting proficient. Even out of shape, you can train to get more technically proficient. And then still work on your fitness on the side. It doesn't have to be. Let me get in shape, then proficient. Yeah, and you, you see it with uh, with that whole aspect that even even if you're trying to get in shape outside of combative sports, fighting conditioning is its own little little monster, right? It's its own entity in yeah. fitness. Yeah. Because um, once you start grabbing onto a human and he's pulling, you're changing. 
uh, energies that you don't get in a gym lifting weights or, you know, running or CrossFit or. And I might have to have a static hold with my upper body while being dynamic with my lower body. Mm -hmm. So I'm like taxing two different systems while engaging both. Right. And until you do that, you won't adapt to it. You know, usually when I have like world class, world class kickboxers converting to grappling, like they could fight five, three minute rounds, kickboxing, no problem. Right. If they have somebody lay on them for like a minute and a half. They're like claustrophobic, like, you know, and it's just that what we're not used to is going to be highly uncomfortable. Yeah. Same thing. If I, I could be a great grappler going to uh, spar with these great kickboxers, if I'm holding my breath, you know, two, three rounds in, I'm like, oh man, like, how did I just drop from a, from black belt to white belt? You know, just cause, <laughs> just cause something changed in the game and I'm just out of shape. You know, I'm not geared to have conditioning in that aspect. Yeah. So is it, are there any drills or anything that, that, that you would recommend for people coming to, to, to train with us here? Uh, just to maybe not to prepare and get in shape. Cause we, we, we've talked about that, but just the a fundamental something that they can start now, like push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, squats, just so the body's conditioned to some sort of push-pull yeah. drive. Well, I would say, um, you know, push-ups are good for shoulder stability and strength, right? I, a lot of athletes will do a small amount of push-ups just to work on shoulder stability because if there's any grappling involved, your shoulders are going to take a toll. They're, they're going to be taking a toll. Um and then two pull-ups. Pull-ups are a little harder in the sense that uh, not everybody can do a pull-up, mm-hmm. um, but they should, right? Everybody they, should. At they least should be able to do one. I, I would. I would hope that they could. And there are progressions that you can do. You can hook up uh, an uh, elastic band to your pull-up bar, so it's like assisted. So yeah. you're working progressively up to it, and not that you have to just jump up and knock out five. You could literally go work to one pull-up, hop down, cruise, walk around the house hop up, do another one, pull up. And then there's also exploding pull-ups where you jump, hands touch the bar, pull up, drop, right? And there's there's all kinds of progressions. So even if you you can't do it, I guarantee you there's a way that you can work up to doing it. Yeah, like anything, right? Just little steps, steps we take. Uh, I know we had this small conversation as as far as how gi-no-gi transfers to, to combatives and the idea that uh, the clothing that we wear mirrors or has uh, a capacity to be the same as a gi, and though it does, it does look like it, right? Because if you have an open jacket, it looks like a like a gi top or a kimono top. And uh, but the construction of of everyday clothes versus the construction of a heavy knit gi, yeah, um, might not hold up, right? Yeah. Um- if I were to grab your jacket or your t-shirt, it's not going to react like a gi. It'd probably just tear, right? And you'd probably get really mad at me for stretching out a nice shirt or something. For sure, especially this one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this this idea, I, I would think that maybe a gi is similar to, like, combat dress of, like, uh, the military in the sense that it's stronger and you're fully covered usually. Right. Um, but other than that, I, none of the clothes that I wear on a day-to-day basis, either jeans, khakis, or a sweatshirt are going to react like a gi. And one thing is that gi training, well, I don't ever want to say, like speak in absolutes, but right. when you're no gi training, you're starting to learn how to use your limbs 
to create grips as opposed to just the dexterity of your hand. And you, I think that's very valuable. And so people will frequently say, oh, no, gi is a lot looser than gi jiu-jitsu. It's a lot looser if you don't know what you're doing. It's actually pretty tight and precise if you know what you're doing. And vice versa. You can go from no gi to gi training. Like if you want to have an effective grappling style, your capability should be, you should be capable in a gi, capable without a gi, and then also capable while somebody's punching your, like punching at your face. Right. Um, if you just want to go into one specific aspect, and there's no problem if somebody's just like, I just want to be a competitive jiu-jitsu player. Cool. Um, but I think where we get into this gray area is that due to like the whole machismo thing, gi practitioners want to be like, oh, I could, I could, I could trash those guys in the UFC. Right, I see it all the time. World class jujitsu guys are like, oh, jujitsu and and MMA is no good. It's like you realize they're not just doing jujitsu. Like right. people are punching them, and then you get that guy throw some gloves and a mouthpiece on him, and it's like, oh wow, you know, the guy doesn't have to pass my guard if he can punch my face. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it changes the game. So and but there are good guys like my buddy Ryan Hall, great gi player, great no gi player. You know, won medals in the gi meddled in abu dhabi no gi hell he's killing it in the ufc right now like I, because he understands like how to apply leverage in, in all realms and he's just gangster so when did you make these these uh, realizations like noticing that you needed those three things to really evolve a fighter well, I was think it early on because you're third degree black belt, right? Well, we we never did the degree thing, you know, okay. to be honest. Like, uh, I never got solid belts. Yeah, straight through. we uh, I started in '99, and half just we didn't even have those bars, those black bars and red bars until like 2002 or something. So we were just given our belts, and uh, in the sense that we didn't have a belt testing, it's just like you are what you are, and if Hal says you're that, then that's what you are. That's what you are. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I've been a black belt for 10 years. So, technically, you get a degree every three years. Mm. But, you know. It doesn't matter, right? doesn't matter. Like, I'm not going to any ceremonies and paying ceremonial fees. <laughs> like, that's all. And I don't want to get all jujitsu politics into it. But it's like, yeah, we went from one having each belt. Now we have four degrees per belt, which usually requires some sort of belt testing, belt and test payment. Yeah. yeah. All that wild stuff. But, uh. But yeah, in regards to when did it, it dawn on me that they, you know, you have to do all of it. I was probably a, a, I think a white belt or a blue belt. And I was really accomplishing in, in gi tournaments. But what made me want to train no gi is because in no gi tournaments, belt rankings didn't matter. So as a blue belt or purple belt, I can compete against black belts. Because in jiu-jitsu systems or tournaments there's like there's there's the the white belt world champion there's the blue belt world champion purple belt so on and so forth but the guy that really matters that's the ultimate world champion is the black belt world champion right mm -hmm. so it's like i want to gear myself to compete against the top one percent in whatever i'm doing so that's when and i think you know a few of the other guys that came up with the nogi competitions that's why they went to nogi it's like cool i spent a hundred bucks you know, 50 bucks, depending on who the promoter was. And now I got matches against black belts as opposed to IBJJF tournaments. I spent 150 bucks and now I only got to deal with your like belt division, my belt division. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Sorry. That 
I don't mean to sound negative about jujitsu, but <laughs> no, it doesn't sound negative. It sounds more just like experience. You've seen it change over the years. You've been in, involved for yeah. a very long time, so you got to see the progression and. And when we talk about jujitsu effectiveness in fighting, like street altercations, uh, I've witnessed firsthand like guys that were really proficient in the gi, like blue belt level, they got really comfortable pulling guard. I've witnessed them pull guard in street fights and get thrashed by somebody with no training experience. And then I've seen a white belt that just knew like three or four simple moves, like rear naked choke, guillotine choke, like beat up a hell's angel. You yeah, know, right. it's like why was it that he was more ex effective with less experience than the guy that had a lot more experience but just didn't have the right tactic to how he approached the fight? And it's because the guy kept it simple and just, yeah, just hey. moved off. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, a, a training cycle, right, so that our listeners can kind of get an idea of how to just prepare themselves for for – a fight or prepare themselves for coming to the program and, and dealing with us for five, six hours on the mats. Uh, uh, just what, 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 what does a week look like for you? A week look like for me? I mean, I'm training every day. I'm in the gym every day um, just because my job, um, coaching and, and running a gym. Um, but what I would say, if, if you're interested in, in doing the fieldcraft combative training, the best time to start preparing is today. Uh, maybe go for a walk, right? Walk a mile. If you can't if you can't jog it then walk two miles and walk three miles progressively from there maybe jog a mile then jog two miles and jog three miles and not so much in the idea that that you have to like crush yourself and make yourself like feel like like death you know you don't have to have a killer pace but the more you train for something also the more committed you are to it so it's like you're preparing to to do a combatives course um, and that would be most of it is getting the cardiovascular shape. And then I'd say, you know, do some push-ups, air squats, pull-ups if you can, and even just sets of five for the beginning. And then work your way up, right? Just, that way you can start seeing a progression and feeling better about the achievement of the day. Yeah. And uh, as far as recovery, like for me, I know, uh, the whole team here actually is using a uh, uncanny CBD oil. Um, and we've been getting cool stuff. So we have the salve as well that I put on my, <laughs> I put on my bad knee and, and, and shoulder constantly. And it, it does have a, a cool effect. And, uh, the isolate powder is pretty good too. dump it in a, a water bottle and go. Um, if you guys aren't tracking our partnership with, uh, uncanna, that's U N C A N N A.com uncanna.com, uh, drop in Fieldcraft survival for, uh, a promo code there uh what do you think of cbd i know the guys here are, are all about it right now and we're using it to recover now that we have the new mat space and we're training yeah it, it's it's good it works 100 percent. and I'd, I'd like to get some of this in some of my athletes hands because there are a lot of cbd companies out there mm -hmm. that are sponsoring athletes with the popularity of combat sports but i'll say some of the products out there aren't as good quality as uncanna yeah so like to get it uh in some your of way yeah, yeah we'll see what we can do for the fighters and maybe we can uh get it on a broader scale for everybody uh what's uh what's a good way for people to 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 find you and locate you uh social media wise yeah um i'm on instagram most actively there just at darren d-a-r-r-e-n letter b is in boys he's in i don't know cup charlie charlie yeah uh and then you is in 
uniform. I don't know. Union. Darren BCU. And, and uh, what does the, the BC stand for again? Uh, <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Uh, uh, BC was a nickname given to me by, by Half and Luke Stewart. It was Bone Crusher. Hell yeah. And uh, I, BC is shorter, and it made me feel less goofy if people called me BC. Instead of yelling Bone Crusher across the, across <laughs> the mats? Because then people start looking for a big guy, and they're like, oh, it's that little goofy-looking kid over there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I think it was easier for Half to remember than, than Darren, so... And uh, I know we were sitting here just chatting before before we went we went on uh onto the mics here for the podcast uh we thought of of uh, nicknames for the <laughs> for Mike and George yeah so what are we calling Mike I think I think uh, we're in the test phases of kimchi kimchi Mike and then <laughs> kimchi uh, Mike baby powder George oh that's a good one man yeah. baby powder George that's gonna be that's gonna be good so you know they they got to be funny and humorous right for sure it keeps it light. Um, so April 13th, that's going to be a cool day for people that want to hang out with you and us and train. Uh, April 13th, we have a BJJ Gi No Gi seminar with Darren, right, Darren? Yeah. You're going to come out for that? Yeah, I'll be out here. And then uh, Chad Robichaud said he'll, he'll be he'll out here out also. Here. Yeah. So Chad, we got to roll with Chad today. That was fun. Yeah, it's great. He had another black belt in the mix, an experienced uh, grappler and MMA fighter, so... Uh, it'll it'll be live and we'll have some good roles uh, we can tell some funny stories and go over like we'll have uh, basic stuff that we go over in the clinic and then if anybody has any other questions and there's time at the end we'll be more than happy to, to answer those to questions. help them out with that so if there's guys that are looking to compete or they're prepping to compete or something like that they can bring up a question or something that, that might help them from already seasoned pro dudes that uh you can get a lot from and then on the 14th, we'll have Gunfighter Pistol. So if you're in town or you want to come up, do the seminar on the 13th and then shoot with us for Gunfighter Pistol on the 14th. That'd be cool. So yeah, I know you're not sticking around for that, which is kind of a bummer, man. Yeah, I got to corner some fights in Bellator, so I got to be in and out. Duty calls? Yeah, duty calls. <laughs> and then I'll be back out here again. I'm going to try to make it a monthly thing. So That'll be cool, yeah. Setting up the monthly thing will be good because – if we have a, a, a core group of people training and right now it's uh there's about four or five guys that we have in a core and uh it's just good it's good to have your level of, of training and expertise come out here and kind of put us in line with certain things and maybe we can get other tribe members to just swing by and, and come see and do stuff yeah and you know you got jim miller so it's like i think you have a good amount even more guys that we can just have conversations and really like troubleshoot things yeah it's just going to make the evolution of the program excel so much faster absolutely um, especially yeah. when we get into like level two of this program and then potentially three when uh there's an idea that we should create like a coin or a patch or something for graduates of level three but that's going to be no joke you're going to earn that and you that's a pass fail it's not everybody shows up and gets a nice little certificate. You can fail that one, and it's chances are uh, you're going to need to work up to that. So, yeah, it'll be cool. And, you know, I've been to, I think, like 10 or 11 uh, field craft courses. Nice. And it never hurts to double up on, like, a, a level one class or a level two. There's, there's no fundamental or basic that's, like, too basic to, to review. You could just get better at that stuff, so. For sure, yeah, right. There's always a way to scale up. Um, and if you just do nothing, then you just start scaling down yeah. <laughs> without even thinking about it. Um, 
What are some some funny, crazy things that you've experienced uh, in the fight world, like traveling overseas or just random stuff you see? You know, uh, going to Brazil was pretty crazy. You know, uh, everybody's quick to try to hustle an American. Um, being in Thailand, uh, had one person in our party had a rough experience with the local police. You know, kind oh. of a shakedown thing. Um, you know, I got to say those are two of the more you know exotic places that are kind of known for that uh corner fights in mexico where like the medical staff of the athletic commission was like non-existent like their medical tests are like to clear you to fight they have you close your eyes and they just like lightly push your chest and if you don't fall over they're like you're good (laughs) you're fighting (laughs) it's like ooh, that's kind of scary uh so like having medical equipment on me just in case something happened is is important uh, getting around Thailand on scooters, you know, there's accidents, especially with foreigners all the time. Cause we're used to driving on the right side of the road there. We're driving on yeah. the left. Um, so, uh, traveling to Brazil is wild. Everybody chants like crazy stuff about like, you're going to die when you're fighting for the foreigners. Yeah. For the foreigners. Yeah. And then, uh, also going to Turkey. Turkey was a, an experience in 2007. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, Definitely. I think everybody should travel and sometimes travel to a place that's like not just with resorts and casinos Yeah, where you feel, try to live like a local somewhere foreign, right. you know, and yeah. you'll, you'll appreciate what you have at home more. Yes. I, I, I hear that from people too, where, you know, I've traveled to some, some countries that are very like exotic and people like it and it's resort heavy. And they're like, oh, I had a great time there. I was like, yeah, well, you didn't live where I live for yeah. a few weeks and a few months here and there. Uh, in like the ghettos of, of these countries and, and it's wild, man, to see how they live and, and how lucky we are in the style of how we live. Like, you know, grocery stores packed with food where, uh, some of the places I was, uh, you would wait for the butcher to slaughter the animal. And once that animal was sold to everybody who came first, you had no meat that day. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's cool to see. And there is a, a different style of traveling. I think some people travel like in a luxury capacity. Some people travel to be more like the locals. And then some people just do it to get Instagram pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, you do develop like a sense of efficiency when traveling. Like for sure. I think I could live out of like two duffel bags indefinitely. And uh, plus you never know, you might have to improvise a way to get around. So yeah. if you're like covered in like have six bags Right, you know, just logistically to get to another hotel is a nightmare. Yeah, and um, conditioning too, right? Let's say you get lost and then you can't walk around, and you're just lazy and just lethargic, and you can't get from one place to another, like get yourself to a hospital or yeah, just something simple. So, and with with the fitness aspect of it, and I know we're touching a lot on the fitness side, is uh, the confidence that you have. You yeah. know, you have the conditioning. You know, you can outrun some people, and sometimes outrunning is. I mean, that's it, a form of self-defense, man. If you can't catch me, then you can't do anything to me. You know? Yeah. And then also the confidence you get just from accomplishing fitness goals, knowing that like you could stay committed to push your PR higher. I think uh, the mental side of it helps you. For sure. Cool, man. So uh, any shout-outs you want to give anybody that, that's really supported your, cor- your your corner and been, been good to you? You know, uh I guess I, I coach at CSA gym in Dublin. You know, Kieran's always taking good care of me. Uh, I'm helping the professional MMA team there. Sh- shout out to my my whole team over there. And then also my own gym, FTCC in Daly City. You know, I know it's hard for the guys when I'm away. 
but I'm always bringing back good stuff for you guys. And so I appreciate guys like George, Dante, um, Kyle, you know, always holding it down while I'm, I'm away. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it to my family and my friends. Just love you guys. I know I missed a birthday party being out here, but sometimes we got to make sacrifices for sure. Right now, yeah. just a quick shout out to, uh, David Virtus outdoors. He, uh, decked me out for our, our fight gear here. So if you see me or can't see me because of the camo patterns, you know why. <laughs> All right, guys have a good one. We're out. Yeah.